Welcome to the Begin the Begin podcast. My name is Jeff Hillemeyer, and I'm on a mission to find out what makes people tick. Not just anyone, people who are making a profound impact on the world. I want to dig into their origin story and get to the root of why and how they do what they do. I hope you are as inspired coming out of these conversations as I am. Let's get into it. On this episode, I chat with my friend, Penny Collins, President and CEO at Women in Technology, or WIT. We talk about her journey into entrepreneurship, where her passion to help others comes from, and the incredible work she is doing with WIT to empower girls and women to excel in science, technology, engineering, the arts, and math from the classroom to the boardroom. And hey, while I've got you, definitely consider subscribing on whatever platform you're listening on. I have a lot of great guests lined up that, trust me, you won't want to miss. Okay, let's get into it. Okay, I'm excited about this one, Penny, because I think you're the first person I've chatted with on my podcast that I know two of your siblings, (laughs) which is crazy to me. So uh, Penny Collins, tell everybody who you are and what you do. I am Penny Collins. I'm president and CEO of Women in Technology which is a nonprofit here in Georgia. Yeah. And so I got to know your sister. (laughs) We were in Leadership Atlanta. Actually, I should start by saying this. How many siblings do you have? I know you have two brothers and a sister. Is that? Two brothers and two sisters. So there's five of us. Okay. Um, Okay. Got it. So so I met um, your, your, your sister at Leadership Atlanta. We were classmates. And then since then, I've also met your brother um, who is like, the kindest person I've ever met. And he came and helped at 48. I mean, your family is just blowing me away about like how successful and yet awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> I want to know about your childhood, but you must get that. You must get that when people meet multiple siblings of yours, because you're all in the business community and intertwined. We do. I have to say, a lot of people say this and maybe mean it. I don't know, but I have the best family ever. My siblings are phenomenal, and you're right, between Peggy, who you know, and David, um, they are the most endearing and loving people you could ever meet, ever meet. And I also have a, another sister who lives in California, and she's in the tech industry as well. And then I have another brother who is deaf and autistic, and he just moved here from California as well. Oh, so he's so here. Okay. He's here. He lives in a special like facility that helps uh, men his age with uh, that have autism and have um, different, you know, handicaps. And uh, so, yeah, he's here and we're able to see him often. That's awesome. It's so great. Love my family. (laughs) Yeah. And I would put you right there, you know, certainly with Peggy and David. I mean, I've just really enjoyed getting to know you. And so here's where I want to start with you. Um, I'm really curious what it was like growing up in your household. Um, where, Where are you in the order? In the middle, smack in the middle. Wow. No, normally, <laughs> normally the middle sort of wanders and, you know, maybe has a little success. I mean, so I'm guessing your parents were driven or successful or something to, to instill that in every one of you. They absolutely were. Um, they were, well, my dad was a school teacher, um, but before that he was a Marine. So that kind of says it all right there. He was a Marine. He was hardcore. He, I, I guess they always say, once a Marine, always a Marine. So he still is a Marine. And my mom is Japanese. 
And so when not just Japanese, she's an she's from Okinawa. And so when you get that combination of discipline from both of their backgrounds, um, they instill that in every single one of us. So we all kind of grew up with this drive, with this competitiveness um, and with this just this willingness to succeed and just do the best that we could. What, what do you think it was that allowed you all to be, you know, seemingly, maybe I'm reading into it, good friends as adults? Because that doesn't always happen. No, it doesn't. You know, I, I think it was, I mean, of course, we had a lot of moments of not getting along. I was the middle child. That's one reason I think I talk so fast is because um, I'm always cut off by my family. So I always had to talk really fast to get a word in. Um, but you know what it was? It was um, my parents. They built a really good foundation around family is first. Family is the most important thing. Um, you guys may fight. You may not like each other at the moment, but you can always, you need to learn how to depend on each other because you're really all that you have. And that's how we kind of grew up. And we've, we are super, super close. Um, all of the siblings, we go off and have like a sibling retreat. And we try to do it once a year, but we haven't been able to, of course. Um, but we just get away and just spend time with each other, um, be vulnerable with each other and just really um, open up to each other. So it's, it's, it's really great. I love that. I love that. How was, was Peggy, uh, where is she in the order? She's the oldest. Don't okay. tell her. Oh, I guess everyone's going to know now, but yeah, she's the oldest. <laughs> um, yeah. And Peggy is, you know, who was in my, my leadership Atlanta class, but um, I just, yeah, I, I'm, I'm so interested because it's like, um, I don't know, this is going to sound silly, but I think of you guys like the closest thing to, in my mind, to the Kennedys, not, not because of like, you know, you were born into wealth or anything, but like, it's just like one after another, like, oh, wow, they're doing that. Oh, wow, they're doing that. There's another so, one. There's another one. <laughs> and, your, and your heart to give back. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that in a second. Um, how did, you know, at the very least, the three of you that I know have that, where did that come from? Um, my mom. My mom is, um, she is just a special soul. There's something very special about her. Not only does she have an incredible business mind, but she's got this heart to serve, to give, to be whatever she needs to be to help anybody. So like right now, she um, had a very successful sewing company in California and she made dog hats. So hat, you know, hats for dogs. And she was just going to do it very, you know, just a little bit for, for a little bit of the, of the dog stores. And she decided, um, no, she, she put an ad in a paper that then got the attraction of some company in Europe. And so she ended up signing a contract where she was making a hundred thousand dog hats a month. What? And so it became this business. Yeah. And so she retired from that. It's crazy. She retired from that comes here to Georgia because um, they're now both retired and she decides, you know, the pandemic hit, I'm just going to start making some face masks and I'm just going to put them into some of the local stores and just charge a dollar, a dollar a piece for them. And she put them in a little boutique and sure enough, um, all these people started wanting them and now she's making them for weddings. It's, but, she, but what she does with the money she makes is every single penny of the dollars of money that she makes goes back to the homeless. And that she has always been that way. She um, will work 40 hours a week just to serve those that are around her. And that's where we got it. Yeah, no kidding. That, that's, that's, amazing. A, that's a good way to get it. That is amazing. Hopefully I'll get to meet her one day. Oh, you will. You will for sure. 
Uh, I love it. Okay, so you know your career. Um, I think you you were at um, several large companies um, before you got to Women in Technology, um, Bell South, First Data. Um, I think we're a couple. So I'm curious as you as you went through sort of corporate and then you had big roles at those companies, right? Um, were you were you thinking one day you would end up? in nonprofit? Um, were you surprised at that opportunity? Like, how did that come to be? And, and was it in your master plan? Such a great question. No, not even close to my master plan. I was at First Data and rightfully or wrongfully, I never thought about being one of the only women, not only, but being one of few women in technology and being um, having the, the, the ability to sit around you know, the table with the president of the company and incredible leaders that mentored and guided me, um, that I would have that opportunity. And as I was in my role, I got introduced to women in technology. So they met with me and talked about all the incredible programs they had to look at mentoring women and supporting women. And I, I mean, honestly, I didn't even think about it. And so through those conversations, I realized, wow, we do need to get more women in leadership positions, we need to get more women interested in technology. And we did a few events at First Data that were phenomenal. The impact we were having on young girls in college and the women that were you know, in the company, it was just amazing. It was an amazing feeling to know that as a woman, we were helping other women that needed the help. And I got so hooked that when I heard about the opening at Women in Technology and they asked me to come interview, I didn't even hesitate. I was like, I need to explore this. And then when they offered me the role, I sat down with my husband and said, okay, I'm making this much money. (laughs) At a nonprofit, I'm making way, way less, like way less. And um, is this something that we want to do? And he just looked at me and said, the money's not important. He goes, this is your purpose. It's like, you did this as a full-time job, even though it wasn't a full-time job. And he goes, and when you do that work and when you talk about that work, he goes, you just light up. He goes, you have to do this. And if you don't like it, leave, but just, just try it. And I have to tell you, it is the best job I've ever had. Mm. I love the ability to help people. And it's not just helping women, also helping men. It is partnering with men. It's looking at opportunities of how we serve those that are not able to help themselves, but, but those that are able to help themselves, how do we elevate them so they continue to grow and we have more women in the STEAM community? I love yeah. it. I found my purpose. You sure did. You sure <laughs> did. And I just, I'm, I really admire that you walked away from, you know, the, the corporate, big corporate track you were on because, you know, you had big roles. and But you you clearly saw the need because you lived that, you know, being a leader, a, a female in technology, you obviously knew the need was there. And so the calling was, was right for you. You know, what's ama- I agree. And what's amazing is, you know, I truly believe that everything happens for a reason. And in the roles that I've had, whether it was at British Telecom or it was at Bell South or was it at First Data, um, you know, I lived it, I felt it. And it kind of, it, it helped bring me to where I am today so that I understand what other women are going through. And I think that's what's helped me in this role is we're able to implement programs and events that are geared towards what I would have loved to have 
if I were still in, in the for-profit area in technology. And so it gave me a little bit more sensitivity to what, um, what we had to experience as women being the minority, you know, right in, in, in corporate America. Yeah. I um, had Helene Lawless uh, from Path Builders on the podcast recently. Yes. She's a, she's a longtime friend. Um, and, 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 and uh, she was talking to me about, you know, various challenges that um, women go through in, in, in society, but in business in particular, and how what she, it sounds like you're doing something similar where she's working both with the women, but also with the corporations, because change has to happen on both sides. And, and I got to think that's even more important when you're talking about a field like technology. Absolutely. It, it is, um, you have to attack it from all different angles. And you have to look at from a company perspective, you know, why is it that we don't have more women that are in these technology roles? And a lot of it is education. So we've got to do better education with the younger generation, um, which is why women in technology, we've got programs that support girls in middle school, high school, and college. So we educate them to the art of the possible in technology. But it's also, how do we change the behavior of leaders so that we open the doors more for women to have these roles in technology? And you know, here's, here's something that's very interesting too, is with COVID, um, I'm sure everyone has seen this, we've lost so many women in all different fields, not just technology, because we've all left to kind of take care of our families. Um, but in the normal world, when we're all back to face-to-face -face in, in, our, in our companies, how much of what we've learned in COVID is going to apply when we're back into our offices? Mm -hmm. So are we going to take the lessons learned to say, we need to be more flexible? You know, we, will we probably will have more women in technology if we're able to be a lot more flexible with them being moms and being mothers. Because women in corporate America and technology, um, you've got three, four different hats that you're wearing. So you're, uh, you know, you work at your job, you're a mother, you're a wife, you're a sister, sometimes caretaker for your family. If I volunteer for an, another nonprofit, then I'm a volunteer. And if you put all that together, you've got to be able to be flexible to allow a woman to be a mom and be a wife and be, you know, have a successful career without feeling guilty one way or the other that I have to be in the office and work 10 hours at the office. Why not let me go home, make dinner, put a little laundry in, and then I'm logging back in to work. And so I'm hoping that through COVID, we're, we're learning that um, people are working harder, much harder, and women are. So, yeah. Do you, do you have, this is time for real talk. <laughs> <laughs> do you have real hope that that's going to happen? Um, that, that when we come out of this, that employers in technology, I mean, I, you know, I, some of my best friends are white male leaders in technology, G great, um, great uh, leaders, but usually fall prey to, you know, well, we're just going to hire the most qualified candidate or, you know, like they, they're saying things like that whenever you try to push them on race or gender in terms of their hiring. And so I just wonder like, what is it going to take, I guess, to, to make that real change happen? Like, I, I want to believe, and, and we're certainly in my company doing exactly that kind of thing because we're realizing, I just don't know that I have a ton of hope for people like me. <laughs> I hear you. Um, if you look at where we are right now in the world, we've actually taken like 10 steps back. We're, we were making progress. slow. The progress, though, is still too slow. 
And so we've got to look at how do we come together as a community? Because women cannot solve it by ourselves. How do we bring women and men with all the diverse backgrounds, with all the diverse ethnicities and come together and say, how do we fix this? Mm -hmm. How do we change this? And I think with all of the things that are happening in the world, um, I think people are starting to see it. They're starting to see that we definitely need to change. But with men still being the predominantly, the, the leaders in technology and in corporate America, we've got to have behavior changes there as well. It's got to start, I mean, we always hear it's got to start at the top, but it's got to start everywhere. Top helps set the behavior, but how do we continue with that behavior and be consistent um, and, and develop the frameworks and the behaviors and the processes so that we continue down this path? And, and a lot of it also honestly is with the hiring managers. It's not really with the leaders, it's really also with the managers. So if I'm looking at a resume, um, a lot of times hiring managers are choosing what is more comfortable for them. Um, and a lot of times it may not be the woman or it may not be someone that is, has an ethnic background. But, but you also have to remember, they have to hire the best person for the job. And so if, we, if I got a resume and I've got two candidates that are very, very strong, one's a woman and one's a man, what is the likelihood that they're going to choose the woman over the man? I don't know. Our behavior is showing that they're going to choose the man. So if you have a woman that is qualified and she's able to do the job, we have got to put our arms around her and support her in those roles. And I think um, it's going to be a long battle to recover what we've lost. But I think um, we need to have, start having these tough discussions about what is it going to take to change these behaviors? What is it going to take to, as an example, change the job descriptions so that they're not so harsh, they're not so must, 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 you must have this and you must have that. Because women tend to, and everyone's heard this, women tend to be not as secure with themselves, not all, I'm, I'm just, I'm saying in generalities, that when they look at a, res, you know, a job description, if they are 80% of it, they don't apply mm -hmm. because they don't feel that they can do that other 20% that they've never done before. And that is where we have to work together to change the, um, having women feel more secure and understand that they can do it. They've made it this far, they can do it. And having the confidence, and that's what women in technology, wit, that's what we try to do, is empower women, not from a feminist perspective, but empower them to know you can do it and, and give them support in their journey so that they have those positions. Hope that makes sense. <laughs> no, totally, totally. I lots of thoughts going through my mind. I, I think the <laughs> biggest one is, um, you know, I, I hate to say this, but um, last year with, um, you know, George Floyd, um, Ahmaud Arbery, all mm -hmm. the all the deaths that we saw um, of black men and women, um, a lot of a lot of um, I think leaders' hearts changed. And so what I'm seeing now, and I hope this continues, is that there's far more of a focus on um, the importance of fighting systemic racism in our society and, and making sure that our workplaces are, are doing the right things, right? Um, all things that should have been done, you know, forever, but now they're starting to happen because people, people who don't otherwise experience that, you know, feel like they have felt it a little bit, right? And, and that, that changed some minds. And so my question for you is, um, I guess it's twofold. Um, are there things that you have seen that 
trigger that moment in a leader's or, or you know head of HR, whoever you're working with, that allows them to say, oh, right, this is the right thing to do? Um, are, are there things that you see change the minds? And then I guess bigger than that, is there, has there been something and, and, or could there be something big that could happen that really would change, you know, the industry, um, the, the way that we saw that happen last year? That's a very good question. Very, that's a big question. The big you question. Know, I, I think it is, it's going to, we're going to have to be intentional. Mm-hmm. We as a community, have to be intentional and very focused on the problem and the solution and we have to work together. But it can't be a bunch of women and it can't be a bunch of men separately solving this problem. We have to have diversity, but more important, we have to have inclusion of that diversity in the conversations or we will never fix the problem. And it can't be just focused on, you know, black and white and Latino and Asian and then um, looking at man versus woman or whatever. It, it, you've got to look at also um, age, you know, the the background and the experience of someone older versus someone young. You've got to bring all of that together. And that is when I believe real change will happen, but it has to be intentional and it has to be systemic. You, you've got to be able to look at how do you develop a solution that will not just last for a year so everyone's metrics looks good, that they've got diversity and inclusion in their metrics and in hiring, but how do you sustain it year over year over year? And it has to come from behavior change. And then the question is, how do you change that behavior? That is when you need this diverse group to come together and help solve that problem. How do you, how do you get, um, how do you get the, the, the male leader to see that there is a problem? You know, it's, it's interesting because I think a lot of them see it, uh, you know, based on, I can say based on the support I've seen in women in technology, the, we call them man ambassadors of wit. And these are men that are leaders um, in Georgia in the technology area that have stepped up and are truly, you know, they see the problem and they're helping us with solving that. And that is where, you know, us as women, we need to hear them. We need to listen to them and learn from each other to solve that problem. But I do think that we have the support of men, most men, to actually help try to solve this. That's good. Yeah. And and I'm sure you have the data that shows, you know, a more diverse workforce, you know, that the company's going to be more successful. I mean, every metric, right. I just don't know that. I just don't know that they always see that, Um, but it's there. I mean, it's, it's facts, right? It is. And you know, what's interesting is I think a lot of times um, people, men and women, they hire people that they're comfortable with. And a lot of times we have, we've got to get to the point that we're comfortable with the uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And once we are comfortable with the uncomfortable, meaning bringing in people that have diverse and different backgrounds, different ways of thinking, and you may not have the person that's going to be saying, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. That's not what you want as a leader. You want someone that's going to have that diverse perspective that will challenge you and challenge your company. And that's when true innovation absolutely kicks in is when you have those diverse thoughts. Yeah, I love that. And, and that intentionality you talked about earlier, um, one of the things with another initiative I'm involved in um, more around um, uh, race and social, social justice um, uses the term um, that we're creating systemic opportunity. And so it's that that purposeful you know, work to create opportunity. Then that's all really we're talking about. How does Atlanta stack up in terms of women in technology roles? 
you know, we actually are doing better than I've seen across other areas, but I have to say there are other states that actually are doing better than Georgia. Um, but Atlanta as a, as a city, we are, we're good, but only because of the opportunities that are here. Mm. I mean, we're like the next Silicon Valley, right? We've got a lot of tech companies here. Um, but what I found is we're getting more women leaders in Georgia in these great big companies than we've ever had before. And a lot of them, I know I look up to greatly as they're mentoring me and they're coaching me um, as part of being um, part of the community of women in technology. Um, but we're getting better. We're, we're not where I would want to be. Um, you know, whenever I was on a session this morning where, you know, they were talking about developing a panel discussion um, to talk about strategy in technology. And I, you know, everyone that was on the panel were men. And I was like, where's where's the woman on this panel and it was it's not that they didn't think about it It, it's just they're comfortable with just selecting people they know so when are they going to select people they don't know and allow women to be more part of that discussion to give us more visibility and then when you get more visibility is when people start really paying attention and listening to the voice of that woman and the expertise that she has Mm. does that make sense yeah it totally does yeah but look, um, you're impressive. I mean, your leadership team is almost all women. Yeah, it actually is. But he, but here's the thing, and, I, and I'll admit this. So, uh, you know, I bet our whole team is 60, 70% women. Um, and yeah, I've got one man on my leadership team and the president of my company is a female. Um, but our development team um, only has one female on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been, you know, that's been something we talk about and we're focused on. Um but it's not easy. And, and so what we have to do is be intentional. Like you said, like we can't pull on past, you know, team members we had at different companies and who's in our network. Like we have to really work on that. And so, you know, as we look to build that team, uh, you know, we're going to have to require, you know, probably equal representation in terms of candidates to, to force ourselves to get there. Um, but that's, a, I mean, so it's partly a strength, but then also partly something that we're struggling with. Yep, but, but at least you're starting with the majority of your executive mm-hmm. leadership team are women, and that's a start. That sets the example. I mean, I look at Bryson, who is the CTO over at um, Equifax, and he made a conscious effort to make sure that half of his leadership team were women, and they are. Mm-hmm. And he is a huge partner of WIT to look at how does he then start transforming the rest of the leadership you know, uh, levels to start making changes there as well. It's amazing. So you both are great examples. Great. Well, <laughs> lots of work to do. So I'm curious um, about your role as CEO. Um, is that the first CEO role you've had? Yes, it is. Tell me the difference. So you've been doing that for two years now? About? Yep, two years. Okay. Um, do you enjoy that? You, 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 you relish it. Um, how are you doing with being the top dog at the company? Everything that you said, and it's also very stressful. It's all on me. It's like, uh, yeah. and of course, COVID hit. So we had a pandemic in the middle of this. Um, I absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. And what is I'm so blessed with are a few things. One, I have a phenomenal board. I mean, not a lot of nonprofits can say that. I have got a board with powerful thought leaders that challenge me, question me, push me, um, which I hate and love, (laughs) Um, but they're phenomenal. So they support everything that I do. Um, Our advisory council, 
amazing, amazing group of men and women that are there to advise us and to counsel us to make sure that we're staying on point with our with our mission and our vision. Um, I've got a great team that make me look good. It is truly every single one of them that do their phenomenal work. I We would not be able to be where we are without them. But I have to also say it's our community. We have got a phenomenal community of men and women that support women in technology. They are there. They're there to support us. Whenever we have a fundraising event, they will go into their pockets and and you know donate as much as they can so we can continue to keep our doors open. But more importantly, that we're able to serve our community. And what I love is as the CEO is the ability to be creative, to be able to pivot quickly when, when COVID hit and be able to work with our community to continue to add value in a different and innovative way so that we continue to serve, serve our women, whether they're in an underserved area or they're in an area that's not. We want to serve everybody. So it's been quite the challenge, mm-hmm. um, but I've loved it. Absolutely loved it. That's awesome. I mean, I, I know you're you're probably in the right type of role for you, I would guess, from now on. Like I, I would it'd be hard for me to see. <clears throat> you with with what you what, what you're doing now and just the, the your personality like the ability to yes with the pressure and and yes you know with a, with a great board but there are some rules that are involved in that but still be able to be an entrepreneur and, and run the ship right and I think that's a it, it can be infectious and I'm guessing you're you're feeling that oh big time I mean my husband says this my husband Brian says this all the time he says you know you being able to do this how it's it's like a spark is, has like just started in you where you're able to be creative and be an entrepreneur and truly lead the company and be as creative as I need to be. Um, and it's, it's just freeing. It's really, really freeing. Um, but I will have to say a lot of people don't know this. Uh, you do. It is really hard to run a nonprofit. It is really hard to run. It is not like it where it was 24 by seven. This is a whole different type of 24 by seven work. Um, but because you're serving people, it just it just makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, so it's good. <laughs> uh, and yes, it, it is very hard to run a nonprofit. You know far better than me. But what I what I think is great is about nonprofits that for profits rarely ever even get, but work so hard to have is people who are so passionate about their business, right? Like. I have no idea, um, maybe let's go back to Bell South, what Bell South did to try to get everybody to really believe in the business if they were able to do that. It's really hard to do, but you know, people that work at WIT are doing so because they believe in the cause and to have that as a leader is like, I mean, that's magic. Oh, I agree, and I love it, and I love it. You know, one thing that we wanted to do, I'm not sure if you're aware of, uh, with the women in technology is, you know, we do a lot of work to help those that are of means. We wanted to be very intentional last year about and continuing to look at what do we do with those, what what kind of programs can we implement to help those that are not of means. And so we um, created a program called our Single Mothers Program. Have you heard about this? No. Oh, let me tell you about this real quick. Real quick. So um, I was a single mom um, when I, I got divorced and I was a single mom and I did not graduate from college. And I was very few people, right? Or women that actually was able to make it to where I was able to make it without that college degree. But it was hard. It was really, really hard. I had to learn 
the technology on my own because I couldn't afford to go to school yeah. because I was a single mom. The one thing that I always said was when I am able to do so, I want to pave the way to make it easier for other single moms. So we created a program last year um, where we partnered with Emory, where we offer to single moms um, through, you know, you have to have a basic understanding of technology and you have to be showing that you're trying to help yourself. Like you're going to school or you're working a job or something where um, we, we are going to offer you um, the ability to go to Emory and get a cybersecurity and information security certificate from Emory and in a 12-week program, which is every Saturday, all day long for 12 weeks, um, we are offering free childcare through our partnership with Sheltering Arms. We partnered with Uber, where we provide free transportation services for the mothers. We provide them lunch so that, you know, they're at home right now, so they don't, leave, they don't need to leave their home. We have Uber bring food to them so they can continue with their education every Saturday. Um, the other thing is when the mothers are in their class in Emory, the children that are sheltering arms, they're also learning technology while they're in childcare. Okay. So they're not just being taken care of, we're teaching them technology. That's awesome. And then we partnered with a phenomenal company called Hunter Technical, where they're going to, whoever is the top 10 highest scores in that class, they're gonna place them for free in corporate America. So these women go from making less than 36,000 to making over 50. Ugh. Can you believe that? With unlimited potential. I mean, that's unlimited. Oh my gosh, that's unbelievable. When did you start that? We st actually, our class just started January 30th, our first class. Wow, you must be so excited about that. I'm so excited. And we are now trying to raise enough money so we can offer a fall semester later on this year. So we're in the process of trying to raise as much as we can. But, you know, it's, it's, I got a text from one of the mothers that she said, um, this is her second week. So last Saturday was the second Saturday of class. She got a hundred on one test last Saturday, another hundred on a test this past Saturday. And she said every, it, the professors at Emory have been phenomenal. And it's just so good to see that they just feel empowered. Like they feel like they can do it. They can do it. It's so, it's like you created a, 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 a subsidiary or a small business within WIT. That's amazing. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, that leads to me to my last uh, big question before um, I ask you my fun question. Uh, what, what, what can people do that listen to this? Men, women, um, you know, what, what would you obviously point them to the website, but like, are there a couple of specific things you're like, well, here's where we need help or here's where you can get involved? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you go to the website, <laughs> mywit.org, um, we, we've got a lot of opportunities to serve as mentors. We have opportunities to be part of events that we put on for girls in middle school and high school and college, where we have um, webinars where we teach them about technology. We teach them about how to be a leader. We teach them how to communicate. The, if, if every single person in corporate America were to look back and say, I wish this person had that skill set, come to us and tell us that so that we can teach it to the younger generation. And and more importantly, teach it to young women so that we get more women into the pipeline. And it is about, you know, even if you can't physically spare the time to, to mentor or to volunteer, um, donate, allow us the opportunity to expand our programs and our services. And that enables us to continue to serve the community through them. 
Um, and another big thing is we've got one of our biggest fundraisers of the year coming up in June. It will be virtual, June, um, June 17th. And we ask everyone to go to our website and purchase a ticket. It's just $50. Um, we will have a lot of the executives around Georgia that will be part of our VIP reception. We are able to virtually network and meet them. And we are doing giving out scholarships to girls in high school and college. And we would love everyone to be a part of it. So that's it. Awesome. Well, I'll, I will buy my ticket as soon as we're done recording here. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, so my fun question is, um, I always like to ask my guests, are there a book or two that are your favorites of all time? Um, that this could be something that you read 20 years ago or two weeks ago, like what comes to mind when, when I ask that question? So I don't read as much as I should, um, but the last book that I would say that I read that impacted me quite a bit was The Shack. And it was just a very good spiritual book that kind of grounds you on, for me, I'm a very spiritual person. So it grounded me back on, you know, to my faith, to giving, to, um, you know, what the world is about, the goods and the evils. And it was just, um, it just really moved me. And so that was my the life. Shack. The Shack. It's a thin little book, not very big. <laughs> I'm not sure I've read that. I'll look that up. You have to look. I'm, I'll send you a link. It is a great book. Um, and then, of course, you know, I, my kids try to get me to read Harry Potter, and I just rather watch the movie. So I just watch the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we have a deal with our kids when they finish all the books, um, mom and dad take them to, to Harry Potter world. Oh, so it's great motivation for my wife and I too. Cause we're like, read those books and we'll read them to them. <laughs> well, does it extend to friends? <laughs> yeah, it should. it should. Maybe we'll do that. <laughs> well, um, Penny, look, I, I was so excited to chat with you and I really loved hearing more about your story. I love the work that you guys are doing. And um, I love it when somebody who um, has the leadership experience and skills that you have, put all that toward helping others. And that's super rare. I mean, that's so rare. So I just appreciate what you're doing. And, and I hope that lots of people who listen to this are going to support what you all are doing. I certainly will. Um, but thank you for everything you do. Thank you. Thank you so much. So glad to be here. It's great to chat with you. Hopefully we'll see each other in person soon. Absolutely. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> Wow, you made it to the end of the podcast. I didn't think people did that anymore. Well, since I still have you, I'd love for you to do two things. First, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. That way you'll be alerted as soon as I post my next one. And second, I'd love for you to subscribe to my email newsletter. I send out an email every week or two, and it's really where I share my more personal thoughts and ideas. Plus, I give stuff away sometimes. You can find the sign up at my blog, jeffhillemeyer.com. And I really do appreciate you listening. 